This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. All right, hello. Welcome. Got David O'Doherty on today. Recorded live from my hotel room in Austin, Texas. I guess I didn't need to tell you that I was in Texas during the Moon Tower Festival. It was a fun episode. Uh, I got some tour dates coming up. Friday, May 8th, I'll be in Arlington at the Draft House for two shows. 21st, Winnipeg at the Park Theater. 22nd, Space in Evanston, Illinois. June 3rd, Zappas in Tel Aviv. Yes, Israel. June 4th, Zappas at their Herzliya location. I don't even know if I said that correctly. And June 18th, I'll be in Hawaii at Crossroads in Honolulu. And I got another Hawaiian date that I'm going to be adding soon and a bunch of other shows that will be added soon. Um, Check me out. Follow me on Twitter at Todd Barry. Check out my crowd work special, all crowd work special documentary, five bucks on louisck.com or net, either one of those. And follow Feral Audio. They bring you this podcast and many others. And here is David O'Doherty. <laughs> David. Toddles. Now, this is such, this is the annoying question. Toddcast. Uh, million, first of all, a million people have suggested. Oh, uh, shit. Um, Toddcastinating. It's like procrastinating, but instead you listen to your podcast. That, that could, oh, that is a good idea. It's not a bad name for this. What's it called? Just, it's just called the Todd Berry Podcast. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of, uh, I kind of was like half lazy and I was like, then I was like half, well, that's good enough, right? It's, it's depressing that iPod, the brand, have named a genre. I mean, this is a radio show effectively, right. but no radio in there it would, is covering. You yeah. know what I mean? But it's just that, I guess it's like in this country, how Kleenex, say, has become right. the name of the product. I never even thought about that. Or Xeroxing. You know, that's that's a yeah. word. Fed, FedEx that to me, Todd. You know what I mean? But to be fair, if you FedEx someone, you probably are using FedEx. Froyo me that <laughs> frozen yogurt. That just means make frozen yogurt out of the... I think there's some place where they call every kind of soda Coke. Oh, so I you feel got- like that was a regionalism or something. <laughs> Somewhere in the States, I feel like I met someone like, oh, yeah, we just call all sodas Coke. Weirdly, in um, Ireland, you'll find places that call a soda, as you've called it, which no one would call it there because that would be uh, specifically a soda water, uh-huh. a mineral. Would you like a mineral? Really? That would be your, yeah, your orange, your 7-Up, Yeah, a mineral. Why have I not heard that in my world travels? Yeah. <laughs> You're very, you are very worldly. <laughs> I'm worldly. Yeah. Um... 
when you sent me a message, you know, you were running a little late, which is fine, but you actually wrote, can you get me an Americano? And then you put coffee in parentheses. I know that you were joking, but I was like, wow, this guy. I, I know, but you I just bought this guy a water at CVS and now he wants coffee. You took that as a joke. I know. That I was asking, whereas in fact, I was saying, I want, because I'm, you know, I'm a little run down yeah. been with all the travel in your yeah, country yeah. and everything. So I was thinking that would be a good pick me up during it in case that like if the listeners at any point hear the energy flagging in this from my part, you'll then hear <laughs> as I imbibe the <laughs> coffee that Todd didn't get. I, w- I offered to buy you one. But you were no, like, no, it's said, I thought it was a joke. Did you really want one? Well, then, then that would have been yes. And then I would have said, yeah. you think I would have not gotten you a cup of coffee? <laughs> I thought There's because a coffee this shop is right over there. Quite a fancy hotel. Yeah. It would have just been a free coffee option maybe in the, oh, you know, in there the lobby. Used, there is in the mornings. Also, I'll be honest. I knew I was running late. Not horrifically late. No, no, no. Seven minutes late. No, yeah. I thought giving you a task would fill some of the time so you wouldn't notice. But there's also a chance that it would have been cold or lukewarm. Yeah, I know, but even just in sending you off for the effort, it would have, like, you know, when you want children to do the washing up, <laughs> you go, I bet you couldn't do this washing up in 10 minutes. And I guess people have dishwashers. You now. should have, that's what you should have, if you would phrase it like that, hey, Todd, I bet you don't have it in you to get me a cup of coffee in Austin. And I'd be like, I could find one. There's a couple places right by the hotel. I'm going to buy them the biggest coffee he's ever had. But then you did something interesting. You were like, well, you probably have one in your room. We're in my hotel room, by the way. There's two um, hotels used by the festival. Yeah. I feel this is the better one. So I'm reading into that that the preferred, you're the more important people. All the industry are staying in this hotel, which is a sure sign that this is the fancy one. Which means you run out of the lobby real quick. Run through the lobby. (laughs) Which means they put you among the gatekeepers of the industry, which is, I guess, why this what this podcast is. This is. This is an audition for you. This is. <laughs> I can extend your your work visa. I've got to show my range, if nothing else, in this podcast. Hopefully, you'll ask me a question where I break down in tears. Oh, that's. Oh, I, oh, I forgot to tell you about that. That's what the, <laughs> that's how when when that, when that happens. That's when I I end. And not until that happens. So, so this podcast has never ended with someone not in tears. No, I'm so. Uh, I always. I mean. Not to be all pat on the backy, but I just feel like I don't want to ask anything that I w- wouldn't want to be asked. Like, I also like, what's, the, I just don't, I'm not, it's not that kind of podcast. What's a great interview where someone, uh, there was a, the famous interview with Princess Diana, uh-huh. where she admitted, I think, for, for the first time she said she wasn't happy and was going to get a divorce with Martin Bashir, that one, in the 90s sometime. She went out with Martin Bashir? No, the interview was with... Oh, with Martin, Martin Bashir. Okay, Bashir. And, yeah, no, that's a... Just because someone interviews someone doesn't mean they're going to... They're going to get married. Can I point that out now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Begin this interview. <laughs> but uh, she she cried in that. It was quite... Um, it was quite... It was quite powerful. It was quite moving, yeah. I, uh... I've never cried. I once... I was once in a movie and they asked me to cry. I was in a wheelchair. I was quadriplegic. And they said, can you just cry there? Because it's the only way you can show emotion. Did you? Because uh, there is that stuff. I did something where I had to cry, I think. And they put some stuff that like, it. it's like Vicks VapoRub, which I don't, like a <laughs> mentholated thing that just burns under your eye. And you basically, they, they hurt you. And then you start crying. I was trying to think of the worst things ever. and But it wasn't. I kept thinking yeah. of funny because my instinct was to then make comedy out of the darkness in an attempt to cry. Yeah. Force myself to cry. And then I got up. My eyes water quite a lot when I run. So I tried then to 
sprint down the canal where we were shooting it with my eyes wide open, which is funny because I was quadriplegic then. Uh-huh. I had to sit back down again and I was panting having just run. But um, it, it just didn't, they, it didn't work in the end. Yeah, in the end, they just put uh, drops in my eye and the scene was cut. So. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to be that good an actor where they're like, I just, oh yeah, I, I just think of the worst thing that's the saddest thing because, you know, and then I do it nine times because we have to keep doing this over. The, yeah, I sort of, I think the, the things that make me really sad aren't teary sad. They're more just kind of maudlin, if that's the right word. Like I, I often think of, imagine how sad it is for, you know, X Factor, one of those shows. Uh-huh. Well, the, the person who's got to the final of X Factor. And in X Factor, there's a scene where uh, you are taken by a celebrity. Will I am from the Black Eyed Peas uh-huh. takes you from the car park of Safeway. You wave goodbye to your loser ex uh, coworkers because you're going off to be a star. Oh my god! So that's a scene in X Factor. But then you get to the final. You don't win. And this, he drives you back to the Safeway. And well, it's you having to get the bus back. And uh, people probably not commenting on it that much. They were like, "Yeah, it's good to see you. You've been, you were busy there for a while, you know." And that's that makes me sad. Finding sure, your old locker. Yeah, I'm sure that's a little staged. Though I'm sure there's like it's probably a car service back. No, I'm saying <laughs> after your career has failed, oh, after okay. you tried to make it. Yeah, I'm imagining then you have to go back and ask for your old Safeway job back. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen that happen to people where they get a they get a little TV deal. Yeah, and then it easy come, easy go. Then you're like, you see them getting their ten bucks at a comedy club like a month later. You're like, yeah. And you're like, hey, I just saw you on a red carpet like a month ago. Not that I get it's if they get cocky, then I probably would get a little satisfaction out of that. It it it, it does strike because it's much easier to earn money from being a stand up comedian in London in particular because yeah. there's loads and loads of gigs where you get paid a hundred pounds right whereas I was always struck by people who were doing really like as far as I was concerned doing really really well in New York and were temping during the day like Bamford Maria Bamford like one of my favorite comedians yeah. ever used to temp sometimes she's full time now yeah no 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 I know it. she has been I'm going back 10 years yeah. but that used well, it, to yeah. I should have thought of that that would have made me cry if you uh, I mean if you live in New York and you don't tour you can, there's only a certain amount of money you can make because you're getting 25 to 85 dollars a yeah, show it's such a stupid system how do you put up with I know you got that I do overthrow I don't know who you overthrow there, there has been I mean there has been little actions and strikes and Right, yeah, yeah. There was a strike in L.A., which you may have you heard, may have you may have heard about. What? Um, yeah, it's just the whole thing here is just uh, is is just angled towards megastars earning mega money, and then the other ten rungs up to that couldn't be given twelve shits about. You know, when you reach this level and you are in the really posh hotel, you're at the, you're what I call the 1% uh-huh. of comedy. <laughs> but then the rest of us, in the me and the listeners are all in the 99%. <laughs> and we're just looking up at you and you're trying not to pay inheritance tax so you can give all this money down to your ancestors then. Oh my God. Just keep this I do. I, I'm on, I'm on tax exile. I live in. The... Yeah. You're from Malta or yeah, somewhere like that? A, I forgot wherever the Rolling Stones went on in tax when they went <laughs> out. To... France, I think. Exile of Main Street. Uh, yeah. 
So that's what I'm doing. It, he, it is a strangely, in the era of protest songs for George Harrison, who I love to write a song, Taxman, about how he doesn't like paying tax. Yeah. It seems that might be the moment when the protest movement turned to a new funky direction. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh man, the Beatles have to pay taxes. <laughs> that, they must, that is not cool. It's the Beatles. That's I do funny. Love I never George. thought about that. Who's your favorite Beatle, Todd? Uh, I mean, it's a stupid question. You know what's weird is that I'm, I'm not the hugest Beatles fan. Really? I'm not like Mr. I'm so punk that I don't like the Beatles, but I never, ever want to put on a Beatles album. I think I have one Beatles album that I never listen to. Wow. Is that is that weird? Because there would be artists that I listen to a lot in a specific period of time that I never need to go back to. Uh-huh. Nick Drake, for example. Yeah. You know Nick Drake? Yeah, I do know who he Coming is. Here, here. That is one of my only impersonations. Pink, pink that I can something? Do. Pink Moon. Pink Moon. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, three records, dead. Uh, but those records, good records, fine records, impressionistic, English, posh, co- pastoral, country folk records. But they they don't draw me back to, yeah. to you, God, I need to, a shot of Do you think it's because of the, right now. did you? Well, not that Drake. It's funny. <laughs> I wonder if those two Drake, I wonder if they're related. Drake and Nick Drake. Oh my, they, they gotta be. I mean, yeah. his first name is the same as, the, as Nick's last name. They gotta be, I would say they're twins. There's no other way that, do you think you got fried on those albums or was it just like going back to some movie that made you laugh when you were 12 that you're like, what? oh my God, what was I thinking? I mean, that is, yeah. That, my favorite movie when I was 10 was Take the Money and Run, the Woody Allen film. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You're, you're, a little, you're a sophisticated guy. I mean, not. Re- have you seen that film? You know, with the he carves a uh, soap into a gun and goes to escape from a prison, and it rains, and he's just got a lot of bubbles in his hand. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He did. He did have some pure silly movies. Yeah, it's the. It's. I think it's just the end of this. It's bananas. Everything you ever want to know about sex. So it's the the last one of that. And I watched it recently, and it's it's too silly. Yeah, it's too silly for for me. Although I would argue that my sense of humor hasn't changed for like the stuff that I was into. So my father was a tapes, comedy cassettes, man, uh-huh. a lot of classic BBC stuff. So you've got the goon show, which is Peter Sellers, Harry Seacombe. Uh, you've got, um, uh, early Python and a lot of great stuff before Python, like at last the 1946 show. And, um, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. And these were the tapes we would listen to because we, my granny lived off the West Coast. So we'd go backwards and forwards. And that, that was, that's, I got into that stuff when I was nine or 10, I would say. And that's still stuff that makes me laugh. When did you first see live comedy? Um, my brother took, I mean, it's weird living in Dublin because we, there wasn't any, there was very, very little. And Ireland, didn't really have much of a musical tradition of proper comedians. Like, I don't know what it was like uh, in America, but England had all these, uh, like Max Miller type, I say, I say, I say, you know, pro guys, in a, guys in a big bow tie. Yeah. Not really, more like with a straw boater who'd do a dance and a funny routine. Oh, sort of vaudeville Yeah, vaudeville stuff. Ireland had, certainly in the uh, Catholic culture, had... Um, they were called shanakies. They were like storytellers who would travel around and tell 
two hour stories in bars. Oh man. And so, uh, the weirdly, the first stand up that I ever went to, my brother took me to see a guy called Kevin McAleer when I was 14, who's still, he's Stuart Lee, who's one of the great British comedians. He's his favorite comedian ever. He would tell these really slow, but he'd subverted it. They were really slow stories. They were completely surreal. What was his name again? Kevin <clears throat> McAleer, M-C-A-L-E-E-R. And it's worth, uh, it's a real, it's like 93, I would say, 92. And um, he used to do a slideshow where he would describe in great, great detail everything that was happening in the slides. And what was amazing about it was it was a solo show. He did two halves, an hour, hour and a half, each half. Oh my and God. at the end, uh, time had flown. My father, as a piano player, and used to work in theatre a lot, so we'd go and see a lot of theatre. And so I was used to, you know, sets dropping in and songs. And just to have got to the end of this and have laughed my guts out and to look at my watch and go, it's 10.30 at night. That was just a guy on his own. That definitely meant something to me. That was definitely a big seminal moment. Did he have, Did he make records? Because now I want to hear this guy. Yeah, you'll definitely find some of them on uh, YouTube. So I, I don't have time to say YouTube. <laughs> and uh, look at his slideshow. We'll find it. We'll look at it after. And I don't know if you can attach links to this, but... Uh, if not, I will find the link and you can read it out, including all of the jazzy. <laughs> or people, well, my, my fans are very savvy. They will. Uh, the, oh, the, the, the searchers. You they'll call search them. it up. Yeah. Search it. Yeah. Did, um, is he still around or did he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's amazing. He's got some sort of true wisdom where he drives a school bus now in his local village. He lives in the, in the middle of the countryside wow. and doesn't do much stand-up anymore. But Stuart Lee sometimes makes him come over and do shows. And See, I find that all that really fascinating. Like, just the school bus thing. Yeah. Like, he sounds like a guy who's just not in it for any reason but to do it. Yeah. Like but, it, but come on. that's I, I, I'd say that about you, though, as well. I mean, I do. I drive a school bus as well <laughs> in a little village, but no, I didn't want to reveal that because my price will go down for my comedy gigs. No, it's a school bus driver. I'm thinking anything else. What? Um, no, but like, what? Yeah, what? There's no point to do this other than I don't have any ideas for big, you know, two and a half men type shows. Yeah, you me neither. I just I don't have any. I definitely thought in the past to see if I do, but I don't. I, you know, I'm trying to make an incredibly esoteric television program at home that no one will watch. That's because I want to make that. But I bet you over there what are you gonna could bet? get something where they let you, where they leave you alone, perhaps? Um, I don't know. Maybe a radio show. Uh, but, but I'm kind of, I have to, I, I use the term the horn way too much. Do you understand if I go, I have to have the horn for something? No, Which I don't. It literally refers to a boner. Okay. But I, I, I use it too much, so now it's gone, moved beyond a, a sexual element, whereby I just need to be fully engaged. Passion. Passion, exactly. The horn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll refer to it as the horn. for the Which, well, yeah, well, there's, I'm on the horn is a, a classic Peter Cook and Dudley um, Moore sketch. The... Um, Look that up, actually. The one where 
Uh, Dudley Moore is an incredible piano player. Uh-huh. My old man's a jazz guy, as I said a second ago. And Dudley Moore, because he used to work with him just in music gigs, and he said was a truly great piano player. Oh, really? He could have gone, yeah, a variety of directions. But I, um, at the moment, I have the horn for um, uh, doing stand-up. Uh-huh. I've got a di- I'm, bur- I'm burning all the paintings after this tour, after these American gigs, and just start get rid of all this material and just start a new show that opens in Edinburgh on the 3rd of August, whether we like it or not, it will be done. And I know I'm writing children's books at the moment. Yeah. Which is I'm really, that. really into. You, you gave me one and then you have your pandas. Oh yeah, I did. I gave you that. That was really nice of me because I don't have, they, they give you a really small number to give away. And I, so I think their idea is that I'm going to give it to serious movers and shakers oh, in yeah, the industry. I, I've been, uh, it, what I would say I'm responsible for forty percent of the U.S. sales. <laughs> um, it it's come out here, but they don't tell you how it's doing. That's, they don't. That, not really. That's kept away Do from you. Check you. your Amazon rankings, or is uh, that no, that'll just would, drive you crazy? I, I right? didn't even know that was a thing. You didn't know there was Amazon rankings? Well, I know about I know what Amazon is, but I I didn't think about oh, Amazon. Well, rankings. you'll be doing that. Probably within thirty seconds. I'm not going to do it. That's fine. It's here's exciting, an exciting thing. It's coming out in seventeen languages. That book. What's the title again? I forgot. I, I, well, I don't, want, I don't want to turn this into a crass promotion of it. So well, I won't say, say the, the title. title. Oh, wow, that's that's that's, that's the ultimate cool thing to do. Is to okay, I have a book out. Figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to be driving a school bus. That's very Daniel Kitson of you. And <laughs> um, the book is called. Uh, danger is ever, which actually reminds me, see this t-shirt uh-huh. I'm wearing now. Yeah, that's like, I, I have a fear that this t-shirt is a try hard t-shirt that I'm trying too hard to be cool. Because it's, uh, it's that Beatles thing. It's take off on the Beatles thing, right? So it's a, to the listeners, it's a blue, uh, t-shirt with, uh, in it with Helvetica writing on it. Uh-huh. And the names on it are Becker, Fagan, Katz, who are Steely Dan and yeah. their producer. So I didn't know the cats one. That's I thought that might have been the punchline or something because like like the, a curveball. <laughs> oh, like it was I knew like Beck, who Becker and Fagan, John, Paul, George, Ringo, and, and and JJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. The the um no cats was I think it helped them make that sound the with the two vocals and uh-huh. you know the the steely down sound as we know it. but i my this is so i'm on tour so i'm down low on my washing at the moment so i don't really get that much choice in what to yeah. wear and my fear is that with a t-shirt like this 90 percent of people 95 percent of people don't know what it is don't uh-huh. know what it is and are just annoyed by the fact that i'm advertising something and five percent of people who do know what it is hate me even more because I'm trying to confuse the 95%. But I mean, it is an American rock and roll band who are highly successful. Yeah, but then it should have Steely Dan on it. Whereas I'm trying to make some connection with a bunch of assholes. Also, the other thing I think of with this t-shirt is they have that song, uh, Showbiz Kids, uh, Steely Dan song, which I think they're angry at... um, LA kids of the seventies who are getting money to make, so it's show business kids making movies of themselves, which I think is a diss on, um, not Scorsese's kids, but so certain people of that uh-huh. wave of cinema who, who were the children of, uh, other important who were getting money to make shitty films. 
Um, but the one of the the lyrics that I love in that song is how Steely Dan, how you spot these assholes is that they got the house on the hill. Uh, but one of the other things they have is they've got the Steely Dan T-shirts. So oh, they way, reference that in their own song? Yeah, the way to spot these idiots is that they like Steely Dan, and I am effectively one of them. They're kind of a polarizing band. Like, some people have this rule, I hate them. It's like, how do you, how can you hate them? I, I mean, I get it. Someone once, in a documentary, wasn't Joe Strummer, but it was someone like that, said, why did punk happen? Two words, Steely Dan. But I actually see it. See, I see them as subversive, especially when they're 23 year olds using seven drummers on the record Asia. Just yeah. new drummer every track. It's the wrong drummer for that song. Let's get new drummer in. I love that. Well, maybe that's, that's, that's not a very punk thing to do, I imagine. But it's, but, but it's also caring about the, you know, the quality. Yeah. It's, but, but what, I, I mean, I think it's important not to blame things, good things of the past for what they led to. Say, for example, George Shearing Quintet in the 50s, that sound with the vibraphone, Gary Burton on vibes and guitar and piano led to what we now call elevator music. Uh That sound, (laughs) Steely Dan led to that awful sort of um, theme from Baywatch style 80s music. But it wasn't their fault that they did Bru- they, that they caused Bruce Hornsby and the Range's later work. <laughs> well, Bruce Hornsby, I know you're probably listening. <laughs> that was not me talking. I bet Bruce Hornsby's good. I mean, I did like that song. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But I and I didn't delve any deeper. I got it as a single that you. This would never happen anymore. It was a, it was on the back of breakfast cereal at home. You cut. You had to cut the. Actual, it was a flop, flexi disc. Oh, really? Yeah, like a seven inch, and you put it on on a box of cereal. On the back of a box of cereal, and wow. that's just the way it is. I forgot about flexi disc. Some things will never change. Yeah. Hell, man, how can you stand to think that we? But maybe it's if you talk about social injustice and breakfast cereal and breakfast, <laughs> you just need some step crackle pub. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, let's talk about you in the United States here. Because I feel like I asked you when you were very gracious host to me when I was in Dublin. Um, It's great that you come over. You know, I think it's good. I think it's also exciting. I like you go to Sweden and Norway and these places. I went to Belgium recently and did some gigs. Oh, really? How was that? It's very satisfying when particularly people in their second language. I definitely have to talk a little slower. uh, But just to do your own thing, it makes you feel. Yeah, they're so happy that you're there and they're like. Yeah, but it also, I did gigs in Moscow with Dylan Moran and, you know, you're inclined to do, I think it was Sting that said, do the Russians love their children too? And, uh, I'm joking there. I was not introducing a a Sting lyric, but he did (laughs) have that as a song. Um, uh, an Englishman in New York as well. A lot of his songs we learned there are based around a place and, an incongruity, I yeah. guess. The, um, but there's something so satisfying about going to a culture or a place that you haven't been and people laughing at your jokes. It gives you a, a feeling of warmth, certainly. And to go to... This was the craziest thing that happened at those Moscow gigs. So I uh, wanted to... I asked a person in the front row a question as to whether they understood some reference. And... and 
the guy sat there stony faced. So I said, do you know what uh, um, Steely Dan is or whatever? And the guy, no reaction whatsoever, but like just smiling, staring at me. And I went, do you know, sir, you are sorry, do you not have um, English? Because like, these were all people of Moscow, sort of like Moscow uh, hipsters. Yeah. And he goes, and silence again, staring at me. I was like, oh, sorry. Uh, does anyone have English? And then the guy went, oh, no, no, I, I speak perfect English. And it was a moment where, because there'd been no stand-up there before, but a lot of experimental He just didn't theater. know how to react. Or- well, theater where the performers address the audience. And you're not supposed to Yeah, talk you back. don't ask back. Okay. So they were viewing it as a piece of high-concept theater of what I was doing. As opposed to just... Like, uh, I'm really asking you a question. Yeah, <laughs> I genuinely want to know. Well, I wouldn't do a crowd work show there. But <laughs> it might be a little tough. Uh... So I, I hate to say this to you, because I hope this isn't rude, but I did another podcast yesterday, because I'm in Austin just uh-huh. for a few days. Is that what you're worried about? I did, yeah, that oh, okay. I did another that podcast. That you did another, yeah. But we didn't, it was, it was, it was just silly. Yeah. I, I have, and I, I didn't, I wasn't opening up the way I am with you, Toddles. We was, can get silly. But they really dissed you. Did they? Those. Yeah, they have a song about how... Oh, Brendan Walsh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, those are my the friends. The Bone Zone. It was about <laughs> how bad your crowd work tour is. And it was called the Crowd Walkout Tour. And there's a song with three verses. And it's like a pretty good song about what an idiot you are. Yeah. No, I love that. You should point out that their podcast was recorded on my equipment because they theirs was broken. And Brendan <laughs> called me. like, But you told him that I had equipment, right? They were panicking just before it. And yeah. uh, they were like, Should, could we record it on a phone? I'm like, no, you can't record a live podcast on a phone. Yeah. They really, they've, uh, you know, I think the, I don't know what it and is. They're dissing me and they thought they could record it. A- Maybe it was the scouts instilled into me a do not panic uh-huh. moment. And those guys were just throwing their hands up in the air. And it took O'Doherty with his level headedness in a foreign country. To be like, let's just think about this. What do we need? A recorder. Who he he was Brendan was phoning this is at like seven o'clock when they're obviously not open, yeah. phoning random Austin music stores to because he wanted to ask if they could buy he could buy one of those. Oh my god. Yeah. And then up steps O'Doherty, hand up, Spartacus here, says Tom Barry's got one of those machines. So you had this great idea. Like, oh, I know someone who's, who, without me knowing whether they'll lend it to you, will lend it to you. <laughs> no, I was happy to do that. It felt heroic. Yeah, I mean. It's like when I found an iPad in a coffee shop a, a week or so ago. Turned it in. Felt great. Really good. Not that I would fucking, boom, I got a free iPad. But I, I bet it had the, but lock, I just thought had of, the lock code on it so you couldn't have swiped it. It was just sitting there and there was like a, a clearly empty cup of coffee. I was like, oh, there's no way someone put that to hold their place. You don't put your iPad yeah. down while you go to the bathroom. And I just said, hey, I think someone left this. And they're like, oh, that's so nice of you to tell us without you know stealing. And it's like, oh, it's not really nice of me. It's kind of <laughs> just the right thing to do. And then they got a phone call like minutes later, someone looking for the iPad. Wow. And it's great that I tell, I've tweeted about it and the, talked the, about it. To be honest, Toddles, I don't get the point of, I, mean, I know this is, sounds like a really old man. I got an iPad. I yeah. never got the point of them. Yeah, I don't. I I I think the iPad Mini is probably the way to go. 
Because I have the regular one, and I kind of never. I always fantasize. Oh, I'm gonna just. I'm gonna read the New York Times on my iPad. I yeah, don't think, I don't do it. Or or oh, I, I like it's for people, I guess, who want to check hashtags while they're watching TV shows. Yeah, and things like that. But I don't really do that. I, it's I think maybe because. I but I always want to write things down, and then it's quite fiddly to write things down on it. Yeah, I don't like the tippy tappy thing. The only possible use would be if I, maybe if I got a bunch of them and tiled my uh, hallway with them, and then when I walked across them, the lights would come on, like in Michael, that Michael Jackson video, Billie yeah. Jean. See, I think us, this conversation might lead to Apple. If there's someone from Apple, they're like, oh, man, we got to sell them on this. What's your address? Two iPads for free on the way. Trust well, us. You'll like it. Yeah, because I, nothing about the watch gives me the horn no, no, at no, all. No. And I suspect the iPad didn't give that many people a horn. They were just in the afterglow of the iPod. Like the iPod. But like, Todd, how many times in your life... Have you seen a new piece of technology and gone, fuck, that's good. You know, I can think of, I can think of Skype. The first time I saw yeah. Skype, I remember going, this is unbelievable. Like, that's probably 2006. Uh-huh. The one Shazam. Oh, yeah, that is that. When I heard about that, that was like, oh, I've still no idea that seems how like, that works. That seems like something of science fiction. Movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm still bamboozled how you can take a shit in a train. You know that. Whoa! <laughs> I guess it goes into a, a tank, but I mean that's oh, that sort of technology still impresses me. So the the idea that you know does it just it obviously just doesn't let it out on the track, or whatever. It holds it, and then till you get to the station, and then it pulls it out. <laughs> How long's this train? <laughs> if, you, if you have to take a shit on a train, you should be flying. <laughs> wow, that's a great! I should put that in my act. Is that one of the maxim? Yeah, that is. That does sound. That like, sounds like a joke. That's really. It's like a proper joke. So you you'd say it like this. My friend said, oh, "You're making things listen to me in my need, own hotel room." He he said, um, when, "When he's on the he, uh, my friend my friend says every time he gets out of trade, he needs to do a shit." I say. If you need to do a shit in a trade, you should fly. It's not the most brilliant joke. I think it works as a little conversation piece. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could, I could do better than that. Well, how would you do it? I'm always interested in in joke technicians like yourself. I don't mean. I would probably refer. Uh, I would probably say, my friend David was on a train. And he was just marveling at how you could take a shit on the train. He was just going. I was like, I oh, mean, you can take a shit on a train, and then they just have a way of dealing with it, and. Uh, yeah, I see where you're going to go. But, uh, I, but like, I think. But I was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> if you're taking a shit on, why are you taking a shit on a train? If you're taking it, you, you should be flying. Yeah, that's good. That's Maybe Great. we could share that joke. Fly, flying. Fly, we wrote that one. We co-wrote that one together. Flying shits. It's going to be on my set, every set, set list I do. I just, or a picture of a turd with wings coming off it then. Oh, my God. I, I didn't, I didn't, I never pegged you as someone who would bring up shit. A poop joke. I was. I um. I looked at. I found the set list for my first ever open spot, uh-huh. in nineteen ninety nine. Open mic spot. And it. Uh, you're gonna keep doing that. Obviously, everyone understood. <laughs> but open spot. That's was. the only time I've done that. Have <laughs> I? Did I do that at all? I mean, it's just something that has always annoyed me about your culture. Is that we get all these American TV shows. So like we. I grew up watching Perfect Strangers, and they'd be going to like the Rose Bowl, and. 
I wouldn't know what the Rose Bowl was, but I'd work it out right. that it's some sporting event. I was I was half joking when I correct when I said open mic. And whereas every time a TV show comes over here, they're like, "Oh my god, we have to remake that." Someone mentions football in it, and we say soccer. No, I I agree with the remaking shit. I feel uh, like make new stuff. You just make new stuff. Yeah, I agree everyone with that. like like. Yeah, do you know the other thing that really annoys me in cinema at the moment? I saw most of those, like those two films, the Turing one about the codes. Yeah, that was all right. And the I like Stephen that. Hawking one. I didn't see that one. What is it with Hollywood or people who invest in movies? I'm imagining it's Hollywood. Ailments. That, that is obsessed with posh English, the university, the quad, the people having breakthroughs, scrolling rapidly on blackboards. Like, they're the same fucking film. Also, could people stop just finding old stories and then making uh, involving Kira Knightley in them, the, a character that never existed. <laughs> That's her and, wheelhouse, though, to be fair. And and so just make up things. Casablanca, I, I, I'm sick of movies where at the end the, what, the writing comes up. Let's have no more movies. Let's have Casablanca where there's just a good old thing that happens. And at the end, it's not like the plane crashed that evening and they all died, you I, know? That's kind of like I always had a little problem. I mean, there was good examples of this, but where like... It's not quite as popular now where they would just, hey, this guy's got the comma stand-up act where he talks about his brother and his grandmother yeah. and this weird life. Yeah, let's write a whole show about it. It's like, well, you could have made that story up also. Yes. <laughs> if you have a, right? Like if there's fiction, there's people who've written books who make all the shit up. Yes. And also in the era of documentary cinema being a thing, let's leave truth to documentaries and let's have fiction, fictional movies then with uh -huh. made up things. Oh, well, I know? hate whiplash. Uh, whiplash, well, whiplash annoys me for a different reason. What is that? Depictions of art in, of creative art in movies are nearly always awful. You know, think of any movie where it's a writer writing. Yeah. Nearly always like blood on the nib and sweat <laughs> falling on the thing. Right. Whereas like I'm friends with writers. I'm, I'm, my father's a jazz musician. The reality of being a jazz musician isn't someone shouting at you to look inside your soul. It's you practicing really, really boring scales. Right. And being really fucking good at it. I mean, this is my problem with the X Factor culture that you weren't particularly uh, interested in earlier. It's I just, you, you, and it's the problem with our shared culture as well. If, of just that thing, you have to want it more than the other person. You have to, tr you have to just try. No, you have to be good. You have to be good. That's yeah. all you have to be. And jazz is a classic example of that, where you can go and do a university degree in jazz and you'll come out at the end a highly technically proficient jazz musician. And if the world doesn't need one thing. It's more technocratic jazz musicians. You need people who are just great at it and come at it from a new angle. Same with stand-up, you know? You can learn how to do stand-up. You can teach someone how to do stand-up. Do you really think you can? Of course you can. But it's but what the, I want to see as someone who's been obsessed with stand-up now for 15 years yeah. is people like who are coming at it from an angle that I haven't... They're coming at it as themselves, yeah. Like, or not even as themselves, but as the thing that they think is funny. You know, that, that's like, like at this festival, I, I did Andy Kindler's show. Like, I love Andy Kindler so much because he represents that. And then did his show Blaine Capach. Yeah. Blaine Capach. Very Just funny. Just a guy I'd never 
met before, never heard of. And it's just, this is brilliant. And that fills me with excitement and inspiration. Like, particularly in a nation such as this, where the whole industry thing is so deadening and so the opposite of why I do this, that the a machine controls, you know, the the certainly like what you were saying, the potential of people making money, making a living from it is controlled by a big, silly machine that likes a thing called content that, you know, and they use words like industry. It's not an industry. It's a it's a bunch of people with ideas it's like an art form. You know, you wouldn't say the jazz industry, you know, and that's how I um look at it so it's 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 just so exciting that when you see a thing that reminds you why you like doing this yeah that's I, I don't watch a lot of like sit down and watch a comic live but occasionally i will mm. and then you watch them and you go oh god that's what i do that's kind of cool yeah but then the opposite of that is because i play a shitty three-foot plastic piano i then take all musical comedy very personally because when i see something terrible uh-huh. it's just that's what i do that is what I do. And I go into a really dark phase. Really? Yeah. When I see bad musical comedy, it, uh, really, really kicking the, kicking the nuts. This what? could be the part where I cry. Really? Yeah. Let's, <laughs> this, this would be the part where someone would go, well, let's hear some names, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, no. I mean, I can't even no, I don't, give you oh, names, okay, yeah. but, uh, and I wouldn't do that. But I take, I take all of this so personally. I just, it's been my obsession for so long, you know, I, I, I take like, it's like when you come to Dublin, I take personal responsibility for everyone who ever visits Ireland having a good time. Yeah. You were beyond gracious hope. No, 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 no. But it's not even that. But, but just even when I read in the paper that like somebody had something, oh, they were robbed or whatever, uh-huh. holding an arm, or they had a shit time, they hated it. I, I definitely think, oh, I, damn. I, I, I feel something. Similarly, I, when, when comedy is the opposite of what it should be, as far as I'm concerned, where it's just people delivering a algorithm that has been verified as by the industry as comedy. It just makes me so sad. Have you ever heard the term? I doubt they have it over there, but, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Is the, uh, have you heard of the developmental set? No. What's that? That's a set specifically designed to get you a TV show. So so, so it's explain, not like it's not just like observations it's... it'd be like hi I'm David my father was a jazz musician and like oh. you would and then they would go, oh what's this? well I'll do a show where his father's a jazz musician. Re- but they could but you could just make that up. You could yeah, make you could. a much yeah, yeah. better one yeah. where like my father's an explorer. Yeah. And uh yeah. But I, that always was like oh you're not so you're not even a, this is just one big calling card for you. To oh. get a tea. Yeah, it's is that, does that happen anymore? Because I know that was a famous thing in the 80s. Well, they used to. 90s. I remember talking to a manager once, and, and she's since apologized to this for saying this, but she's like, <laughs> I think she apologized, where she's just like, yeah, Ty, he's good, but it's, you know, you don't really have a, a, a point of view. And it's like, well, what is like David Tell's point of view? Yeah. He just writes, he just hits you with like 5,000 great jokes. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, like, not everyone's a point of view. It's just such an empty thing to say, I think. Yeah. Because so, it's like, what is that? Did you laugh? Then there's... Y- yes. Then that's what it's supposed to be. And also, the, 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 you know, there's that thing of like show and don't say, where I, even from your jokes, even from your classic uh, 
don't shit on a train material you shine through it yeah i see what you're what the person is like you know with with i would say this with a lot of you because i don't i don't really have very many jokes i have some jokes that, uh but not proper jokey jokes with a setup and a thing they tend to be slightly longer things but even in the midst of all the one-linery people like jesselnick you know hedberg jimmy carr you do you you are still learning a great deal they're not it's not just a drone they could send on stage to just say the right they have the jokes you, you you are learning a great deal about hedberg being the classic example you know where you're learning so much about who the person is just from the set i like uh over in england that guy tim vine makes me laugh tim vine is unbelievable I tim vine is does uh, there's few people who, to me, represent this sort of touchstone of purity. And purity can be defined, you know, a lot of people think purity as in, like, says the things that can't be said, smashing the taboos. Tim Vine just does puns. Yeah. He does hundreds and hundreds of puns. He comes out sometimes in a fireman's hat for no reason, dressed as a fireman. Just, uh, he is immensely popular among the elderly. Yeah. He just comes out, bang, 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 bang. And I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. I, I saw him, I think I saw him twice at some festival. Like I was just like, that brought some people back. I go, you got to watch this guy. <laughs> what? Uh, they're all, um, uh, I was at a restaurant and the, uh, food I'd order sat up and said, you've got the most beautiful eyes, the most beautiful person I've ever said. And I said, waiter, I ordered aromatic crispy duck. <laughs> Not aromatic. Yeah. yeah, it's all stuff like that. And some of them, I guess you can consider them almost like intentionally not good jokes. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the, the joke is that he knows it's not a good joke. But yeah. then, I don't, maybe I'm not explaining it yeah. in a way that's fair to him. Yeah, no, he, he there'll, there'll be a few people like that. There's a, there's a pure improviser. I mean, this is just from my background. There's a, there's a pure improviser guy from Scotland called Phil Kay. Who I've heard that. Who has name. a, you know, his gigs can go in a variety of directions. And one of those directions is the best thing you've ever seen. As in, he comes out with excitement, uh, not crowd work as such. He'll talk a bit about his day uh-huh. and very often will lead one way or another. And then he'll find experts in the audience who could have advised. No, this sounds like there's a formula to it. There's no formula to it whatsoever. Um, he would be another uh, English guy called Tim Key. Yeah, that I Tim wish Key's could get a visa to come over here because I... He's absolutely brilliant. Um, then Claudia O'Doherty, I yeah. think she's amazing. Um, and then, but then there's people over here that I would, you know, the Stuart Lee, Daniel Kitson. But then there's people like Bamford over here, you know, to me just represents this, I don't know, just beautiful idea. She's like, yeah, she's like someone you watch, you go, oh man, I'm not, I feel like, oh, I, I should, I'm not doing something that, yeah. that's that good. It's just uh, like purity is a horrible, overused word but it, there is just a thing going on here that is completely believing in itself you know what i mean and like I'd, uh, i've always thought of there's a line that i think Patton used about galifianakis uh-huh. uh, about 10 years ago which is he he's he doesn't need people to laugh at his jokes. Is that what the quote is? I don't is it, remember that quote. It's but. just the idea is that he's totally happy. To, it doesn't, your 
confirmation that that was a joke doesn't really matter. It's just, it's a good thing to say. I feel like, yeah, that's something you sort of have to at least present, put out there when you're performing that you don't give a shit in, yeah. a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I, um, so I did the, I've cut my teeth doing um, hour-long shows uh-huh. from, like, my first one I was 23. I've done about 15 hour-long shows now every year since then. A new one. And for the first five years, no one gave two shits, mostly performing at the Edinburgh Fringe uh-huh. to between five and 12 people most nights. Uh, but what you learn from that is this, you need you learn that there's an energy that needs to come from you. Because the gig will be going really well some nights to the 12 people. Some nights there'll be 30 people there. Some nights there will be seven people right. there. And you go and do it. And you need to have, I'm not saying a phony baloney showbiz energy, but you need to not be needing the audience to confirm that bit was funny, whatever. And that's a very useful thing then. Because you see people who haven't been through that play a quiet room. And they freak out and they're like, what's wrong with you people? Whereas one can unlearn that. If- yeah, I've stopped myself uh, from doing the thing where you're like, oh, this crowd. Because I feel like, because sometimes I've done shows where the crowd does suck. Sometimes they're bad. Yeah. But then like every comic brings it up. <laughs> I guess that's kind of funny. But it's also like, maybe that you're not helping things by constantly telling they suck. And, and also, audiences have no idea that they are not a great audience. Really? I I, I, I have found, not to disagree with you, mm-hmm. for the first time in the podcast, <laughs> that I, I have, there are audiences that if you say, well, you guys are terrible, I've done that, I think, I've said, well, you guys are kind of a shit crowd, and they explode with laughter, Yeah, because I think they're all looking around f- inhibited by each other, Yeah, and then you kind of break the ice and go, yeah. This- well, I mean, I, I, I just don't think there's another art form where you know the way people always go i could never do stand-up comedy muggles say that the uh that's a joke they're from harry potter they're the (laughs) the ordinary people the uh the but i always think actors sometimes say that to me you're so brave doing that but it, it must be much harder to be in a terrible play where you're stuck saying these words with this awful direction whereas you know like your your uh crowd walkout tour the the crowd work tour that's what they called it um, oh did they really yeah, they oh said it was God. the crowd walkout tour because really, the crowd will walk out because i know because they weren't enjoying themselves yeah, cause they're having a so they left time. the place where i was performing i get it <laughs> um but it's your well what i like about it is it's your responsibility like you can whip a crowd up a bit i don't mean by asking if there's any birthdays in the room yeah, yeah, yeah. by transferring some of that energy to them you know, that's definitely something that can be done. But then sometimes the crowds are a little more muted. You know, I was, uh, I was, so I used to, I played in Concord's Edinburgh shows, 02, 03. And I would come on as a guest for one or two songs. Uh-huh. And I would be struck by how, what because what they were doing was so low energy then. Like, it's different now for people. If you go see Flight of the Concords, people sing along. Right, and they lose their minds like it's the Beatles. Yeah, and they don't necessarily laugh that much at the songs anymore because they know the words. They laugh uh-huh. at the new songs. But imagine a, a period where no one... You went, you went to this gig, I was like, what is this? Musical comedy is normally terrible. And Brett and Jermaine did very little energy-wise to whip you up. 
So the audience from night to night would vary greatly because there were audience who from the start just bought into the essential conceit of this, which is that they're not putting in much effort. They or not they, they appear like they're not putting in much energy into it. Yeah. And because they are low energy, et cetera, et cetera, and go with that. And then other nights, people would just sort of sit back a bit more. But I was really struck by the difference in response. But every single night, the audience would come out and talk about how wonderful it was. Yeah, I, I, there are audiences that are uh, where you're going, I can't tell if you guys like me. And then when you finish, there's like, oh, bravo. Like, yeah. It's just like, I mean, I, they're just I, taking it in and they're loving it. But I really noticed that in the Netherlands, actually, where everyone's in, in listening in their second language. Yeah. And they're really straining. And I'm probably using a lot of slang that I don't really, everything, I'm off the horn for everything. And they're looking it up in their travel dictionaries. No, that they, <laughs> and then um, at the end, they all stand up and they're cheering. And you just feel like, well, you guys could have spread this love throughout the hour. That, yeah, on my European tour, like the first six shows, I got a standing ovation, like an encore every night. I don't were know you, if I was were standing. You doing crowd work or doing? No, I was doing jokes, right? Yeah. And some crowd work, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like six. It was like six encores oh in a row, goodness. and I was just telling me, look, I've probably gotten three encores in the United States in twenty-seven years, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This was like I've tripled my total encore. Maybe you've got better. Do you think you're still getting better? I you, think you, so. You've been at this much longer than me. I think I've. I think I am getting. I hope yeah, I'm better. I'm definitely getting better. I definitely. I sometimes look back and go, "How did I do this four years ago?" Like, a, yes, I must not have known what I was doing four years ago. Or I listened to a recording of something from 2011, yeah. and it's shit. Yeah, it's total shit. I, but I just. Ho I hope that keeps happening. I hope I keep listening back to last year's one and thinking it's terrible. Do you ever worry about losing it? I that worry I, about that. I won't be able to think of any new things. Yeah, when because sometimes you see comics, they get a little older, and you're like, oh, man, they, that's not happening anymore. Well, I, The spirit leaves them. Uh, the I mean, I this is something that I do think about. I, I'm obsessed with the <clears> – there's <throat> an old Cole Porter quote, which is – he was always asked which comes first, the music or the lyrics, and he would say the phone call. And so it's about being able to back yourself to – to come up with a show, particularly when I have the 3rd of August as the date uh -huh. when the show, show title, this is an exclusive for the, uh, TBPC. <laughs> um, it's called, my new show is going to be called, we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at David O'Doherty. <laughs> Uh, which I hope people get an Oscar Wilde quote we're on the gutter but some of us are looking at the stars uh, I didn't get uh, it but uh, shit but either way it works I it think sort it works. of works but it's a bit pretentious then okay fine but it's funny pretentious yes and it's too long yeah so it's, it's like delightfully too long the whole poster is going to be too long obscuring the photograph of me looking cute um, but so so I've done because I've done this now for 10 years of these festivals where you get a deadline and the show will be ready for that and yeah. th that may involve almost having a nervous breakdown in July hopefully it won't hopefully the the so I book in a million tiny tiny gigs in Dublin and around Britain <clears throat> between now and uh, and then and this thing will emerge so what brought you over here <clears throat> I got um, a visa, uh -huh. uh, which is a lot of hoops to go through. Yeah. 
involving an interview to decide whether oh, really? I am uh, appropriate for the for America. Uh, no, it's fine. The uh, I am an alien with extraordinary ability. And, uh, I've always thought that. <laughs> and then I was booked to do Conan, that show, uh-huh. which I think might have paid for some of the flight then. I don't think you get much money for doing it, but I think it all went into the flight. And I was thinking if I can just come over and break even. Like, I'm not super richy or anything, but um, if things can kind of pay for themselves a bit, over here can be a bit of fun. Yeah. And then I'll earn money from doing stuff at home. And then to come here and to see inspirational people. You know, I saw Jesselnik did a new set in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Really, really good. So, um, got uh, Dimitri Martin and Bo Burnham came and did a show. Uh, I did a show in Largo and they came in LA. Like that was just, they're both working on I retweeted stuff. that, by the way. Thank you so much. The really few people came. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although the best retweets of all are, so my father plays uh, early 60s bebop jazz, like uh-huh. a very specific thing. Yeah. He is obsessed with the Great American Songbook. And so, and I tweet, sometimes he doesn't have Twitter because he's 77. Uh-huh. So I tweet when he's got a gig on. And Andy Kindler always retweets. Oh, so that's my, nice. my, yeah, but my dad will have. Uh, uh, the music of Jimmy Van Heusen, guitar, piano, duets upstairs in a bar on a Sunday afternoon uh, in Dublin at three o'clock. And Andy Kindler is up in the middle of the night because it's LA time and he retweets it to all of the LA <laughs> cool comedy people. <laughs> I love it. Um, if I can just interrupt the podcast there, I've got a spectacular fact. Okay. Is it? Are, can I do a fact? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. This is a really good one. Except hurt my feelings. That's all you can do. So, uh, Jimmy Van Heusen, uh-huh. uh, one of the most prolific American songwriters of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Countless Oscar noms. I don't know how many Oscar wins. Countless songs. Um, he, Jimmy Van Heusen was a made-up name because uh, his real name was Chester Babcock which he decided wasn't a cool showbiz name. And he got the name Van Heusen from the makers of the shirts. Okay. It was a cool name. But he, on top, this is something my father told me, and it's definitely true because I checked it online afterwards. He wrote, he was uh, America's most successful songwriter, and he also was a test pilot for the U.S. Air Force. And he could never get insurance because he was, uh, uh, in, he was being paid to write the songs for some massive budget Hollywood movie in the fifties. So he was a test pilot under the name Chester Babcock and he never told anyone in the Air Force and the precursor to NASA that he was the most successful songwriter of the age. And there's a famous incident where they were trying out some new B-52 bomber or whatever on a test run. And he was as chief pilot. And as the uh, crew around were checking all the comms to see if all everything was working all right, they were all singing like, I can't remember if it was It's Only a Paper Moon or something, in a harmony, which is one of his songs. And he had to sit there. And not tell anyone. Oh my God. He was the most famous songwriter in America. That's pretty good. That is a good fact. That, yeah, that is a good fact. See, I feel like someone should make a movie about that. 
No. Someone needs. No. You know, like a little this... biopic. <laughs> Make a documentary about it. But then my problem with documentaries is how many documentaries do you see? And you're then wondering what parts of this are made Staged, up. Staged, yeah, yeah. What yeah. if they... Yeah, I, I used to... I, yeah, I, that yeah. always bothered. I'm always thinking of that. You, 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 and once you spot it once... Because someone... So oftentimes you, you love a documentary, then someone fact checks it. And they're like, well, yeah, they left out this entire part to make this part a little... To heighten this other part. And you're just like, oh. Yeah. You feel dirty. The, um, the documentary that... Uh, I, I, it's just my favorite. Did you ever see Deep Water? It's about the 1968 round the world yacht race, no. which sounds terrible, <laughs> but it is. I, I I just watched it again recently. Like it's one of those ones I saw originally on a flight, and you know, on flights you're not sure whether that was actually good because you're just happy right. to be not thinking some time. about uh, the, your own death. So um, I remember watching. I saw Marie Antoinette once on a flight, and I came back and went, "This is a great film, dudes." Where was she sitting? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it turned out to be a, a boring turkey film. No, that's not that bad. It's just a bit boring. But um, so I saw this on a flight and then got it when I had grounded. And then I've watched about every six months since. Really? It's the Deep best. Water? It's 1960. I mean, I won't say it's it's so heavy. It is. It's about it's about a lot more. Than the 1968 around the world in the art race. Let me tell you that, Toddles. Okay, maybe I'll check it out if it's on Netflix. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it is. Uh, yeah, it should be. Yeah. Have you ever been to Austin before? Yeah, I am. Um, oh, you did South by Southwest, maybe? No, I never uh, did that. Although, thank you, because I technically am a band. Oh, uh, oh no, they have a comedy section to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. The, uh, no, I, uh, the first time I ever toured around America was in 2006 with, I'd met Dimitri Martin uh-huh. in Edinburgh. Oh, that's right. You did that whole tour with and him. And we we did about 30 dates oh, that's around right. okay. and we recorded a special here or he did. Yeah. And I am in the background in it. I, I was, do, I was doing support doing warm up for it. So yeah, I was, it was, that, that was, that was the first time I came here. You did a place the other night. I, I looked it up. The chapel. I did that. And that part of my crowd work tour was filmed at the chapel in San Francisco. Oh, wow. It's a nice place. right? That was amazing. Yeah. And what was beautiful about that was, so it was the first time I'd ever done a gig in America that wasn't in LA or New, uh, New York. Uh-huh. And so the, it's the question, is anyone going to come? And this beautiful thing happened where I put it on Twitter and Facebook and the Facebook one, like the Twitter one was like, yeah, yeah, you know, some people said, but then the, sorry, the, that was the Twitter one. The Facebook one, just people started including other people's names oh, nice. in it. Check this out. Check this out. Go along to this. And the list just kept getting longer and longer of people. Like it was an organic, so, you know. Yeah, the, word of mouth kind of you, thing. You, I have very dark thoughts about what Greenwald, you know, tells us about social media uh, and, and Snowden. But, but this was like, oh, no, this is the flip side of it. And like 200 people turned up. Yeah, that's great. At the freaking chapel in San Francisco. I was, I was moved. Did they it. give you a bunch of food backstage, like homemade potato chips? Yeah. Yeah. They did that. There was so much food. Like I felt, I felt like, oh, my God, I feel guilty because I can't eat. Yeah. And then uh, the tech guy was, oh, my goodness, what was his name? Something V. He went by three initials. And he is a singer-songwriter, uh, like a 
he was toured a lot in the 90s and he I then started looking at his stuff at half time uh-huh. and I was like wait well, you're much better than me and you were just twiddling the knobs I wonder who that was to make me audible yeah his name I'll check the searches on my phone, but I've <laughs> I've left it in my bag, Tunnel, so I wasn't distracted during your your PCAS. So this San Francisco was your first headlining show in the States other than New Yorker. Well it was like a solo show. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was like what I would do at home. It was the right. first time to do that. As opposed to do like I've never done clubs or whatever here, but yeah. I've done some festivals around the place. But this was like what I would consider to be a showy show, which is like, you know, it ended up being two hours of Lord Davidy just yabbering and keyboarding and all of that. And then you did go, a two hour show. It ended up yeah. going on and on. That's yeah. good. And, and no, I'm not bragging about no, no, that. No, no, no. In fact, I think that if anything would put people off the concept of sitting down for two hours. But, but I, I, um, and then, yeah, we all just hung out then afterwards, me and the audience, you know, it was so like, you didn't have an opening act. No, just, no, I have too many things to say to divide it up. Then, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't. I feel no. I, there's no, weird I don't conventions don't. here. Like yeah. I would always do at home. I'll always do a two-hour show with a break in the middle, and the first half I divide it up. And so the first half I come out and go, "This is we'll mess around in the first half, but remember all the good stuffs in the second half." Uh-huh. And if you're laughing at this right now. That is nothing compared to the laughter that will be in the second half. So, which is, I buy all this license with the first half. And the new show will always emerges from ideas that have turned up in the first half. You know, I'll go on with sort of uh, half ideas and a couple of songs and whatnot and sharpen them all up and mess around. It's very shambolic. So there is a difference between the first half and the second half. But that's the... Yeah, that's so that, that model. Because I've talked to other comics from overseas, either Ireland, Ireland or the UK. You say overseas from Calcutta and Burma. Isn't it overseas? Seychelles. Wouldn't it be overseas? <laughs> I guess it is overseas. But just such an arcane phraseology. Yeah. Overseas, over the high seas. <laughs> so, I guess you're thinking about it more than I am. <laughs> other lands. How about that? Over from other lands. Yeah. <laughs> but that whole too, like that, I would. I don't think I'd ever... You do it. I've seen you go 80 minutes. Like, I saw your crowd work shows at least 80. Well, that's seven shows combined. Uh, but I did do some long shows on that tour. I did like, a, I did hour 45 in Vancouver. Yeah, but like. Sorry, Vancouver. But, <laughs> but it's not, but you know, I don't want to get to this sort of laugh factory thing of like, I did an eight hour show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, no, fuck that. There's a, there's an organic thing, which is. You can go out at the start and people are excited and you do a reasonably funny opening bit and then you buy, you have some grace then to mess around a bit. And I think people are quite happy to see different sides of you rather than just killing a Todd. Oh man, that's all I ever show. <laughs> David, we've talked over an hour. This is amazing. Oh, I didn't even shit. get to half of my list of questions for what you. What are they? I'll answer them in... You'll do rapid fire. Really? Austin, this is your first uh, trip. Austin, you answered enjoy, that one. enjoying it. Do you certainly. think you'll ever do another, like an extensive tour of the US? I mean, I would if if it were possible, but like the... Uh, so I arrived here a day early yeah. and it cost $350 for this shit hotel. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know what I'm getting... I don't even paid much for these gigs. So like... 
I'm losing. It was cost five grand to get the visa. The flight to LA was like 600 euro. That's $700. The gig in San Francisco would have made like maybe 1200 or something. But like I'd say I'm down on the whole tour right. a bit and I'm not a super richie. I'd love to do it, but you know, I just, I can't break, break even or I need to break even. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. That's a, is that too much truth? No, no, no. That's, that's, I get it. It's not very glamorous, but I just love doing it. But I maybe you could to... do like a, a run in New York, like a month or something. Yeah, but I don't think anyone would come. I think I, know, I, I think hundred people would come the first night, and it would taper off from huh. that point. I don't know. Maybe a month is long. Ten days. Yeah, I I, I do that. Sure. The uh, you did Conan. I watched that earlier. That oh was yeah, really what, good. What? I, like it was a low key little monkey that I went. Like I went for. Uh, uh, a feelings-based comedy song, as opposed to no, it it, it was great. It was like oh, cool, thank you very that much. Show, I mean, sometimes the late night shows are not easy. Yeah, for sure. Yes, um, but a song is a good one because a song also has its own internal energy, and you just hope there's a bit of laughter at the end of every sentence. But if there isn't, you just plow on. Yeah. So it was a nice one of those to do. Now that song, you, do you, is that, I felt like uh, I was trying to figure out, oh, does he write this down? Or I feel like that's sort of rift and then it evolves. Am yeah, I wrong? That, that song, that song, that song started in about 2012. Uh -huh. That's about, that's an old song. Uh -huh. And it has, yeah, gathered momentum and bits of come and bits of gone. There's like easily that length of the song is gone as well. But, um, yeah, and I really, you know, means something to me, that song. And yeah, it was fun. And then Conan O'Brien was really enthusiastic about it uh, afterwards. He was very nice about it. That's so. cool that he that he hung out with you. <clears throat> that was cool, yeah. I've only hung out with him once and I've done the show a million times. Sorry, man. Conan, what's going on, buddy? Not Irish enough to... That's funny. He, I already actually did that with Ed Byrne. So maybe he has a fetish for Irish people. Oh, right. Ed Byrne said he, he came over and like, he was like, I don't know, what do I do now? And, and Conan was like, I guess we can get dinner. They went out to dinner. It's like, oh my God, you got, the, you got a little privileged treatment there. Um, cool fact. So, Dara O'Brien. Yeah. Did you ever come across him? I know Dara, yeah. Yeah, amazing Irish. Yeah, he's powerful. Comedian. Yeah, he is immensely powerful. I, he's also an unbelievable presenter. He can actually do that thing uh -huh. that I, and I dare say... No, no, I can't say you can't do because you're presenting your podcast <laughs> yeah, very yeah. well. No, I'm a <clears throat> world-class presenter. But uh, he can... So Dara is a really funny comedian who manages to host a live BBC show that's on in the winter called Stargazing, which is him and Professor Brian Cox and astronomers look at the stars for oh, two man. hours, like a proper BBC, amazing educational TV show. So he can do this thing. But... Oh, and he's also six foot five. Yeah. And O'Brien is a, the Irish for O'Brien. And so Conan O'Brien and him should do a thing. Because the they're, they're distantly related. The O'Briens. The O'Briens go and, uh, yeah. Are they spelled the same? No. O'Brien is the Irish. Like O'Doherty is the anglicized version of my proper name, which is O'Dohertig. And in the same way that O'Brien is the anglicized version of O'Brien. Oh, man. So common. I can't believe I'm pitching TV ideas for Conan O'Brien on these your are, podcast. These are, uh, these are going to get made. I think a couple <laughs> of these will get made. 
Uh, let's say what I was going to ask you about. Oh, your website. I like your website, Bare Bones. I like the bio because did you write your own bio? Of course, they wrote my I actually own bio. ended up paying someone to write a bio for me. Because so I, I, I found. <laughs> Well, now it is. It wasn't if you just said, oh, I see. Yeah, well, it does say it. biographical details and comfortably written in the third Yeah, I know. I think that, I think you kind of, uh, you, uh, you found a way to make that work. Cause I just, I started writing. I was like, I don't know. It's just not fun writing your own bio. No, Maybe that's what it is. It's awful. But you also, uh, I mean, I think it's, you can go for a self depreciating angle yeah. or you can go for a massively overblown Oh, this is obviously a joke angle yeah. as well. But I don't know. It's nice to pick. Otherwise, people just go straight to the Wikipedia page, which has just evolved by nature over time and yeah. weird and talks about university gigs that I don't remember and things like that. So it was putting a bit of, I don't know, control, writing my own a bit. That's what I've no, done. I thought right it was there. good. It was, it was, it was well written. It made me laugh. Oh, times. cool. Thank you. Uh, I, it's not very impressive because the problem is with my career, I've just done the same thing for years, which yeah, is a lot differently. Have you written books? I mean, not everyone's got a published author. Let's be, let's, uh, uh, yeah, but I just basically just write new comedy shows. Yeah. And so they're always about the same thing, which is my struggles with the material world. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but it's davidodarty.com. Oh yeah, I got that. And then dot uh, net. yeah, that's pretty cool. And there's a, a mathematician who has dot net, who has something to do with one of the highest prime numbers ever. Oh my god! The David Adardis are all impressive. They're very, very powerful, impressive people. Violinist, um, anti-white collar crime barrister in Australia. So if I ever <laughs> narcissistically self-Google myself. Very often I'll come across something brilliant, one I bet, of them. I think that you sort of pick and choose what you're sharing. There's probably an actual white-collar criminal named David O'Darnell. No, because it's quite a rare name. Really? So, and I've, there's no duds. There's no David O'Darnell's <laughs> that i found. They're all, they're all upstanding people. Yeah, but they're all pillars <laughs> of society. The five David O'Darnell's, we should get together. And f like, like a crime fighting super team. I think so, man. Especially you got that lawyer all, he's got to have that legal knowledge. <laughs> that Being a lawyer and all. Barrister. Yeah. Maths brings the maths game to it. Me, my whimsical outlook on yeah. life. You'll bring the whimsy. The mathematician will kill that. <laughs> he's all math. And then the violinist will be, I mean, he plays, um, uh, Bach. Um, do you want to go get something to eat? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel this needs an ending to it. Really? I what? thought that was a cool ending. You want to go get something to eat? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what do you, what will we go for then? Maybe we'll get a uh, Mexican food. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I wanted to be on, in good form for this podcast because I respect you a great deal and oh. your podcast too. So I decided I would eat brain food. So I went to the yoga place <laughs> yeah. beside, the shitty hotel. Did you say to them, hey, I'm doing a podcast. What do you recommend? <laughs> and they were goji berries. <laughs> like, the guy goes in the back like that. So this is, this is off menu. <laughs> Have a Snickers. <laughs> um, no, they uh, made me um, a thing, a sort of uh, oatmeal thing. But the problem was the goji berries, I think it was goji berries uh -huh. in it. And they were smushed up and they created a dark purplish paste 
that looked worse than the most unhealthy sweets you would ever give to a child. Right. So that sounds good. That while I ate it, I know, but I had to actually physically not look at it while I was going in because it just it was the wrong color to put inside myself. It was too delicious looking. No, it was too unnaturally horrible looking. Oh, really? So um, I couldn't. But then I had a, a peach. Uh, the guy said I have a peach uh, juice then as well. And then I've had a black coffee while I've been here. Yeah. So I'm on, I've eaten only healthy, good stuff today. And well, it's time to, uh, to have a cheat day. Yeah. <laughs> as we say here in the States. Let's use up some of our Weight Watchers points. I think that people are on Weight Watchers, you get a certain number of treat points in a given <laughs> period. And, uh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do that. I hope this has been sufficient. Yeah, it's great. Because no, it's great. no one knows who I am. And I'm not arrogantly appearing on your podcast like people should know who I yeah, am. No, of course not. Is that, is that all right? Yeah, and that was great. people on this. No, this was great. So I feel bad. I feel if I don't get to some of my questions, that's a good thing because that means uh, yeah, the, yeah. the conversation was rolling. Yammerin. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was DavidO'Doherty.com, David O'Doherty on Twitter. Just no, it's it. not David O'Doherty on oh, Twitter. Oh, no, it's not. What is it? Is it Flamu? Yeah, it's really stupid. It's um, A with a circle around it. P-H-L-A-I-M-E-A-U-X. Where'd you come up with that? It's um, Flymo. Oh. Okay. But so at home, Flymo make garden mowers. As it, You know, they yeah. cut the grass. Are they here? <laughs> They're quite an interesting design. So the ones that don't have wheels. I love that you gave me shit for saying open mic when you said open spot. And you don't think that I know what a mower is. <laughs> I just haven't seen any grass in this country. Yeah. Just no, there's no one. There's no lawns in the, in the United States. The, the, um, so it's, it's an interesting design. The Flymo design is one where the spinning action of the blade holds the thing up like a hovercraft. Yeah. You, you, you must have these. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Flymo, they're called. And, uh, so I, when I was a, uh, did breakdance when I was nine or 10, <laughs> my nickname was, uh, fly, like, but fly mofo as in fly motherfucker. Yeah. But then I, so fly mo is F L Y M O. So I thought it'd be funny to spell it in what I thought was French P H L A I M E A U X. And then when Twitter arrived, I didn't think it was going to be a thing. So I spent two seconds thinking of a name for can myself. Can you change it? You, you can a, change it. I don't know. Do you have a verified account? No. There's no lead. Oh, there is a need. There is, was there a fake Todd Barry? Like, did you, you're verified, are you? Of course I'm verified. I'm I never even, saw I'm the even need. verified on Instagram. I just thought it's, it's, it's a, unnecessary it arrogance. Great. It gives you spring in your step. I don't think it's, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not different to the unverified people. Unless there's some legal reason with someone pretending to be Todd no, Barry. No, but it, it just, it's just a dumb statusy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for some reason, uh, for some people, there are legitimate people who yes. illegitimately fake uh, are imposters. Well, me and the four other David Adarhardies yeah. are all equal. I don't think people are going to accuse you and the mathematician's account. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, David. This was fun. Thank you very much, Todd. And those of you at home, thank you for joining me in my hotel room in Austin. See you presenter. next time. Actually presenting. I'm a presenter. Bye, everyone. Feral Audio. 
This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.